Thanks for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. What is the bottom line? What does it all mean? What is this for? We can ask the same question in many different ways, but at some point we all want to know, what is life about? This past Sunday at Storyline's Gathering, we began a new series considering what the ancient Greeks called the highest good and what the Bible refers to as the aim of life. The band performed songs by Tom Petty, Cher, The Eagles, and Stephen Stills. Let's have a listen. Do 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 do
happy this year. I am going to make myself happy. Every day, I am going to do one thing I have never done before. That, my friends, is my New Year's resolution. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah? Mine is to pilot a commercial jet. That's a good one too, Phoebe. Now all you have to do is find a plain load of people whose resolution is to plummet to their deaths. Maybe your resolution should be not to make fun of your friends, especially the ones who may soon be flying you to Europe for free on their own plane. She has a better chance of sprouting wings and flying up your nose than you do of not making fun of us. In fact, I'll bet you 50 bucks you can't go the whole year without making fun of us. Oh, you know what? Better get a week. I'll take that bet, my friend. And you know what? Paying me the 50 bucks can be the new thing you do that day. And it starts right now. 
Hey, good morning, Storyline, and Happy New Year. It's so good to be together. How about that for a retro introduction to 2024, right? What we got to do is get Cook out of the country. We can pick some cool music once in a while. Tom Petty, love it. So um, I have given up on being surprised by what year it is, right? 2024, just saying it. It just sounds so weird to me. It, it, it seems so far in the future. I feel like we're in a sci-fi movie, and I know I've used that line every year for like 15 years. It's just crazy. But I wish that was the only feeling that we had about 2024, but I know it isn't. Several years ago, I ran across this study that surveyed thousands of Americans and interviewed them and asked them like, how are you feeling about this upcoming year? And then all these social scientists got together and they kind of came up with this consensus. They actually coined a phrase, this was for the year 2022, that the general mood of the country was we are in a permacrisis. That was the word for 2022. Now, I didn't catch what the word was for last year, but a few months ago, I found a very similar survey. And this one asked, if you had to sum up how you feel about 2024 in one word, what would it be? And the word used more often than any other word was dread. Happy New Year, right? I get it. I think we all get it. But let me say this, where, when I'm here, when we're together, when I'm with folks in this community and we're out and about and doing things together, I'm reminded in a deep and a very profound way of the goodness of God and how he intends to place his goodness into the world through the hands and hearts of people. I guess I'm saying permacrisis and dread are the opposite of what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking, and what I'm feeling. Now, I think it's important, you know, we recognize that the world is a hot mess, that many people are really struggling to experience the, their present with joy, to, to see their future with hope, but I cannot think of a time in my life where the life and message of Jesus and his gospel of grace, that God is good, that God is on our side, is more needed. So I'm so excited about some of the things that are happening at Storyline. I'll give you just a few quick examples. During just this last Christmas season, we gave away $5,000 through Love Changes Lives, those jars for change. It was so cool. Give yourselves a hand on for that. It's so amazing. Our Christmas Eve attendance was bigger than Easter for the first time in the history of Storyline. Our attendance in general is growing. Giving is up by over 20% just since, I'm sorry, about 20% since July. Our KPEP, we have a bunch of impact teams, and one of them is KPEP. And um, this impact team continues to host a Bible study every week for incarcerated men here in, in the area. And on impact Sundays, we serve hot breakfasts at KPEP. And for the first time ever this year, we served Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving Day meal and a Christmas morning home-cooked meal. It was amazing, and so thank you to that team. And so there's so many cool things happening in Storyline. I'm just so excited. Can't wait to see what God is going to continue to do in, in through Storyline in 2024. So here, here's the thing. We are a community founded on growing in and doing our best to live out the grace of God in ways that matter and make sense to real people in their real lives. When we look at the life of Jesus, 
and the message that he not only preached, but the actual life that he demonstrated and the kind of life that he demonstrated, we see that he began with belonging, that he invited everyone, included anyone, on his mission to love the world white, right? And we are, in our way, in a very imperfect way, in a one step up and two steps back kind of way, and we are on that mission here together. And so on this first day of 2024, I can honestly say I've never been more excited, more optimistic, more hopeful or energized about this dream that God has given us. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a part of it. Storyline is all of us together. We've said this from the very beginning. We don't have this thing that we know we're trying to get to. Every new person that comes through the door, every new family, every new person that says, I'm in, we assume that they have something, you have something to share, to give, to offer that will change who we are and and how we do what we do. So I'm just so excited about, about what this year has in store for us. And as I've been thinking about our mission to experience and embody and extend the grace of God, I thought it might be a good time at the beginning of the year to go back to basics. And so we're going to begin 2024 with a series that we're calling Love Matters Most. And I just can't wait to jump into this today because I believe this is what I've seen and experienced in this community, enormous and incredible love. Just last week at the brunch, Jen showed me a thank you card that our care team received, and part of it read like this. I'd like to express my love and gratitude to Storyline as a whole, but especially to the care team. The way that this group cares for those that they maybe even barely know is amazing. It's like nothing I've ever experienced before. Thank you for showing in every sense of the word what love looks like. At the Christmas Eve service, someone pulled me aside and said, Mike, and I didn't even know who this person was. They said, Mike, I just love how this community loves people. And I couldn't be happier to hear all of that, of course. And yet, with all of that being said, my hope is that this series will really challenge each and every one of us on where, when, how, how much, what, and who we love. You know, I get, I get a lot of questions about Storyline, as, as you might imagine. When you walk into a school instead of a church building, we're not meeting where we're supposed to. When we lead with a clip from a TV show and a song from uh, Tom Petty, that's the new theme song to Grand Theft Auto, David told me. Like, th- this, is not, this is not normal, right? And so I think it's natural I think it's natural, especially for people with a church background, to to wonder, like, what the heck is this? Like, what are you doing? And of course, especially what they want to know is, what do you believe? And often, they'll even say, I've looked on your website and found nothing. (laughs) Like, there's no statement of faith. There's nothing on there that says this is what you believe. And, And we don't put that on our website, this long statement of faith, and we don't do that on purpose for many reasons. One is we don't want people to think this is what you have to sign on to to show up. Two is what I believe and what you believe might be different and nobody is any more or less a part of storyline. And so we want to be inclusive. We don't put that on there. But there's also a reason that we don't put that on there and that's because this is one of my favorite conversations to have. When someone says, what does storyline believe? 
I always respond the same way. I tell them, look, watch us. Just watch us. Better yet, come and be a part of what it is we're trying to do, very imperfectly. But what we're trying to do together, watch where we spend our time. Watch where we invest our hearts and our lives. Watch where we give our money and our treasure and our talents. And then you tell me, what do we believe? I think that's a much better test than anything that we could say from up front or write on a website. So I wanted to start this series at the beginning of this year about love with this emphasis because it really doesn't matter what we say or even what we say we believe if we aren't living out the love of God in real ways with and for real people in ways that make a difference for them. As if love matters most. So as we take this long look at love, let's be clear from the very beginning. Love is not just an idea. It's not just a theological construct. It's not just an emotion. It is primarily a way of life, okay? So I wanted to say that from the beginning so that we don't get lost in the weeds of all the different things that we're gonna talk about when we talk about love over the course of the next three, four, five, six weeks. I don't know how long we're gonna do this. Okay, so with that, here we go. We're gonna jump in on this. So in my philosophy class at Lakeshore High School, I give a test on day one, on day one. And it's the hardest kind of test. Every kid will tell you this. It isn't multiple choice, right? Where you can eliminate a couple of the wrong answers and you know the right answer is in there somewhere. It's not true and false where you can kind of do that backward seven and then later argue with the teacher like, no, that was a T. No, that was an F, right? Not that I've ever tried anything like that. And it isn't some essay test where you can BS your way to a C. You know who you are right? You know who you are. No, this test is the dreaded fill in the blank, right? Every teacher knows that's the one you hate the most. So my students, of course, don't like this. They're like, day one, fill in the blank, really? But when I explain, it's just one question, and the only, only they can really grade it. Only they can determine if it's right or wrong. There's a big sigh of relief, And then we take this test. And this is the test we take. You ready? We're all going to take it right now. Here it is. The goal of my life is blank. The goal of my life is blank. That's it. How would you fill in the blank? There are, of course, endless possible answers, right? You could say, my number one goal in life is to be happy. Or my top priority is to be healthy. Or maybe it's to succeed at my career. Or I don't know. How would you fill in the blank space? Maybe it's to have fun. Or maybe it's comfort. It could be to get married and raise a family. How we answer this question is actually really important. Because even if we don't consciously know right now as I ask you that question, if you, do, if you can't come up with it right now consciously, We all must, we all do, and in fact, we all have filled in the blank. You can't not. We all are. Currently, right now, there is something in your blank and in mine. Now, the ancient Greeks called our 
our blank space, our sumum bonum. And that's just uh, Greek for our highest good. Actually, it's Latin. But, and, and know it or not, like it or not, when we are presented with choices, when life gives us options, our sumum bonum takes over. If, if I filled in the blank, for instance, with comfort, just as a random example, okay, then I will almost always choose to stay home and watch TV over like leaving my basement and seeing people, okay? Again, random example. But if my blank space is filled with money, what that means is I'm going to consistently make choices that save and or earn me the most money over and above everything else. Some fill in the blank with control. Like there's some real control enthusiasts here. I know you, right? Not control freaks, control enthusiasts, right? Others might fill in the blank with security, recognition, approval, affirmation. Our sumum bonum, in effect, runs our life. It is like the operating system of our life. It's the window through which we see the world and the world comes to us through our sumum bonum. It often drives our day-to-day and it for sure informs how we prioritize competing good things and how we make most of our choices. So for all of these reasons, it's actually really important that we know what is in our blank space, what the goal of our life is. And this is where this is going to get a little bit tricky here for me this morning, just for a minute, because I'd like to say something here pretty definitive, okay? And we don't often do that when we're together. But we, because we work very hard at being a community where you can belong before you believe, no matter what you believe. In other words, whatever we have placed in our blank space, whether you know it or not, or whether it's different from mine or different from the person sitting next to you or not, there's nothing you can put in that blank space that would disqualify you from being a part of storyline. So let me couch what I'm going to suggest this way. One of my favorite writers put it like this. If you care about yourself, you tell people what they want to hear. If you care about them, you tell them the truth. Now, with the very strong caveat that I know that I don't know the truth inside and out, backwards and forwards, okay, um, it seems to me regardless of what you or I have filled in the blank with, can we at least all agree on this truth? Anything, even any good thing, that is our goal in life that falls short of being the best thing is going to fail us sooner or later. Let me say that again. Anything, even any good thing, that is our ultimate, primary, number one goal in life that falls short of being the best thing is going to fail us sooner or later. There's nothing wrong or bad about, for example, wanting security or even affirmation, success, comfort, control. Those are all good things. Using them as our goal on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day basis will often even work, sometimes for long periods of time. 
But in the end, will they get us where we're going? Will they bring us to a place that we actually really want to be? So the question is, what's in our blank space? And is it the very best thing? What is the highest good? And the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. And a lot of this, and a lot of this will be familiar, and so I've tried to use some verses from the Bible that might be a little bit less familiar to some of us this morning, just so that we can kind of see it in the starkest terms. The Bible has a lot to say about our highest good. So for example, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, let love be your greatest aim. Not power or status, not comfort or money, not possessions or prestige, not applause, affirmation or acceptance, not security, certainty or control, but love, love. The Bible says our sumum bonum should be love. Our blank space was made for love. According to the Bible, everything and everyone exists because God created it. He created everything to love it and he created everyone to love them. We often say it this way when we're together. God didn't create us to get something from us. He created us to give something to us. Well, what is it that that he wants to give us? Ultimately, it's love, his love. So our aim in life should be to love, to live lives of love. We were put on this planet to learn to love, love. I had a young person ask me years ago, Mr. Gathering, I don't get this. If the goal of life is to get into heaven, why didn't God just create us and put us there? I've shared that question before with y'all, and I think it's, it was such a brilliant question. I loved it. It's a, it's a really good question. But see, here's the thing. The goal of life isn't to get into heaven. The goal of life is to find heaven heavenly. And that's a very different thing. Well, what kind of person would find heaven heavenly? And according to the Bible, it's one who loves love. That means we were put on earth as our opportunity to learn to love love. Maybe it's more helpful to think of it this way. It isn't to get us into heaven. It is to get heaven into us and through us into the world. Let love be your greatest aim. Life is all about learning to love. Maybe a better way of saying it is yearning to love. Is that where we're at? Is that where you're at? Is that where I'm at? Is that true for me ever, sometimes, once in a while? Where am I at on that? See, deep inside, I think we know this, which is why when love in our life is lost, when we lose a loved one, when a relationship breaks down, deep inside, we know that when our love, when love is lost, when it doesn't work, this is why life itself can seem to lose all of its meaning.
Tiffany. Oh, everyone under 40 is like, who is Chair? <laughs> this is good music today, boy. Love it. Yeah. So, love is so central to life, so fundamental to life being worth living that it is not uncommon for us to doubt even our ability to go on without it. Because we were made in love, out of love, for love, to love. That is what the Bible is trying to teach us and show us over and over and over. In fact, one day Jesus was walking along and a man came up to him and said, what's the most important command in all of the Bible? Like, what's the number one rule? He's basically saying to Jesus, can you tell me what matters most? Jesus, what should I really focus on? And Jesus said, surprisingly, Sure, I can do that. Now, why do I say surprisingly? Jesus was asked 183 questions in the Bible. 
he answers three of them. And this is one of those. So this is what Jesus said. He answered him like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commands more important than these. Jesus is making it pretty clear. There's nothing more important in all of the Bible than these two things. Love God, love one another. Love, love. Love, loving. And love being loved. If we get this, if we let this happen in us, that is what all of the other commands are about. They are there. All the other commands in the Bible are about the ways that we let the love of God transform us into beings whose primary goal, whose highest good is a life of love. So how much we make, how much we achieve, how, how well we believe, how much we believe, what we believe, how safe we are, how famous we become, none of that matters in comparison to love. One day we will stand before God and we will find that heavenly or not. Based on one miraculous, gracious reality, capital R. Have we learned, grown, been transformed in such a way that we love, love. That we will find being with God our highest good. This is why the Bible says things like, everything you do must be done with love. So I did a word study of everything in Greek, okay? And what does that include? And everything means, in Greek, literally it means everything. (laughs) Everything we do must be done with love. That includes how we treat bad waiters, someone who stole our parking space. Everything includes writing emails and sending texts, or probably, in my case, not sending some emails or writing some texts. This verse needs to be a post-it note, in fact, on my computer. That's just one person's suggestion in my life. Thank you, Lisa. So um, everything includes everything. Does it mean being nice to people who vote differently than we do? It does. Everything we do must be done with love. If we miss this, we miss the whole point. We miss the aim. We miss the goal of life. See, in this series, we're going to consider what love might look like in real life. And we'll get into some more specific situations and contexts where what love looks like may not be easy to decipher, where there is no obvious right answer. But it does all begin with this, our intention to be loving. Because it's easy to get lost in the weeds of, well, what exactly does love look like when blah, 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 blah. And it's really just camouflage for, I don't really want to be loving. I don't want to be nice to this person. I don't want to be kind. I don't want to do the hardest thing for them. So what is the definition of love? It's very difficult, actually, to define it. 
We use that word so many different ways. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love ice cream, usually in that order, okay? But we use this word all the time. I love America, I love reading, I love napping, but we use it in very different ways. So what does it mean to love? Because we have love songs, love stories, romantic dramas, romantic comedies. Love is everywhere all the time, but can we even really define what it is? And I'm not sure actually that we can, which is why the Bible, why Jesus continues to go back to stories all the time and comparisons and metaphors. But the Bible does have a lot to say about love and I think we can start to get our arms around the goal of life by considering how the Bible talks about love. And one thing to see is that we love because God loves us. All love is derivative. That's what St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers said. Whenever we love, whenever we love being loved, when we enjoy something, all of that is derivative from the fount of all love, which is God. God loves us and all love comes from God. 1 John 4, 7 says like this, love, love comes from God for God is love. It doesn't say God has love, although he does. It says God is love. The reason God wants us to love is because he wants us to be like him. Why? Why? Well, because he is ultimate reality. He is the source and the goal of life. And if we don't, like God does, love love, then life will never ever add up. It will never make sense. It will never be the overflowing joy it was meant to be, even when our lesser goods aren't filling in our blank, even when we're not comfortable or we don't have security or we don't have health or money. All of those things can go away when our blank space is filled with love. Another place, one of Jesus' first followers described it this way. We love because God first loved us. The reason we have the ability to love is because we are made in the image of God. The reason we have the desire to love and to be loved is because we are made in the image of God. God first. God first. God first loved us. He has shown that love by giving us life, breath, and everything else. By by giving us one another. By giving us a love for life and a love of loving and being loved by one another. When God does that, when he makes love so resonant in our lives in so many ways, God is giving us a huge clue to the meaning and the aim of life. But maybe we've spent too long trying to figure all this out with theory. You're a scientist, Bran. So listen to me. When I say that love isn't something we invented, it's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Love has meaning, yes. Social utility, social bonding, child rearing. We love people who have died. 
Where's the social utility in that? None. Maybe it means something more, something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen in a decade who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it yet. I love that line. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it yet. Every week we talk about stuff that it's beyond explanation, right? It's beyond explanation, and that's so true for love. Not just this morning, but in the weeks that follow as we talk about it. It's much bigger, it's before, it's beneath, it's beyond anything I could ever try to describe or explain. But I think we do know enough about it to where we can dare to trust in it even if we don't understand it. One of the most heartbreaking stories that I hear, and I hear this a lot, is that people think they're not good enough for God to love them. You know, like with, with all my flaws, with all my failures, I'm just not good enough. How could God ever love me? You know, I, they carry around guilt and shame. This feeling of inadequacy can just be like debilitating for people. I, I struggle with it myself. Often the conclusion that we come to is, you know, I just, I don't love God enough. That's the problem. I don't love God enough. But I would suggest that before we let ourselves go there, because that's certainly not what I'm trying to say this morning, our problem isn't that we don't love God enough. It's that we don't realize how much he loves us. That he will cross the universe to get to us. That his love for us transcends time and space. God's love for us is first. It is the source of all existence. Every atom in the physical universe only exists because God loved us first. And his love for us is unconditional. I think the closest that we can come to experiencing unconditional love is when we see new parents, like brand new parents. I'm talking day one, not day two, because even by then, it's, it's over, right? A baby is received into a family as pure gift, and it's loved totally and completely, and here's the thing, for no good reason at all, right? Because the babies, they can't do anything, a baby can't do anything. This is how God loves us. I think that's the closest we can get to. Look, we struggle to maintain unconditional love for our child day, starting with day two, right? When they will not go to sleep. And they're waking up in the middle of the night. Certainly by year three, you know, when they throw a fit at the store or hide in the clothes rack and you're panicked. Or day 16 when they wreck the car. Or when they're t or year 23 when they wreck the car. Or year t when they get to be 23 years old and they tell you, gosh, dad, your hair is getting gray. Just random examples I'm using, okay? 
But God loves us the same way that we instantly love and totally love and unconditionally love a newborn. And he loves us that way forever and for always. His love is never ending. It's never ceasing. It's never decreasing. In fact, God has never loved you more than he does right now at this instant. He's never loved you more than he does right now. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. He's not waiting for us to get our act together, to know exactly what we believe and why, to not make any mistakes, to not cry at night, to not wreck the car. He doesn't wait. God first loved us. When we realize that, as we begin to open up to that, as we learn to experience and enjoy the love of God, our love for him is just a natural response. We don't have to like conjure it up or invent it or go through the motions of our love for God. It will just happen as we focus on his love. If we're going to talk about love matters most, that the aim of life is love, that we are to do everything with love, that learning, growing, and being transformed into people whose first and primary love is to love, we have to start with the source and the goal. How much God loves you and me and everyone, everywhere, every day, first. God, first. We don't want to just talk about love, think about love. The goal of these next few weeks is that we will begin to experience and enjoy the love that God has for us in ways that we haven't before. Even if that begins acknowledging that maybe we never have to some extent, or we don't understand it. Because then a life of love, a heart that grows to learn to love, that is transformed to yearn to love, will just be the supernatural outcome of the experience and the enjoyment we have of how much God loves us first. We'll find ourselves growing more patient, more kind, more forgiving, more merciful, not because we're supposed to, but just because we are. We'll cut people breaks, we'll give uh, folks the benefit of the doubt, we'll seek to understand, we will invite, we, we will include, because that's what love does. Maybe this is one way to think about it. Our life will naturally take on the characteristics of whatever we have placed in our blank space. But it all begins with the recognition that we are creatures made in love. We are children made to be loved and we will be desperate in life in one form or another until we let love itself Love us. Desperado, 
Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. You're a hard one. I know you got your reasons. It's things that are pleasing you. Diamonds, boy, beat you if she's able. You know the Queen of Hearts is your best bet. Seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table. You want the ones that you can't get. Desperado, you ain't getting no younger. Pain and your hunger, they're driving you home. And freedom, well, that's just some people talking. The prison is walking through this world all alone You can get cold in the wintertime Sky won't snow and the sun don't shine It's hard to tell the light from the day From your fences and open the gate. It may be raining, but there is a rainbow above you. You gotta let somebody love you. Let somebody love you. You gotta let somebody love you. Yeah. So, on the final exam for my philosophy class, the very last question is a repeat of the very first question from day one. The goal of my life is blank. Years after one young lady took the class, I received a letter from her and she wrote to me and in part she said this, I remember you saying when we studied Christian theism that the nature of love and joy is that it must be shared. I hated that. I wanted nothing to do with it. But I wanted you to know, several years ago, I finally let God love me. And I remembered what you said, and it's true. The nature of love and joy is that it must be shared. 
I'm writing to you from Indonesia where I'm a missionary, sharing what I can't keep to myself. And then she signed it and said, P.S., now the goal of my life is love. Every day, we all take the same quiz because we all have the same blank space. And we all are filling it with something. What is it for you? What is our highest good? What, what if we really let God love us? What could happen if his love filled our blank? How might everything change for us if love matters most? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and for this place and for this opportunity to be together. We thank you that every day begins with your grace, your mercy, and your love brand new. That as we begin this new year together, that once again, you have loved us first. I pray that as a community, you would break our heart, that you would break our hearts for the people who your heart is broken for, that you would give us eyes to see and hands to serve and, and ways to love first like you do. God, I thank you so much for, for this community. I pray that 2024 would be just an unbelievable incredible, amazing year of love and grace. As we leave here this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.